Well, let's go to the word here, great people. I want you to um, unlock your tablets and scroll to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. We used to say open your Bibles and turn to. Now it's just unlock your phones, your tablets, and other gadgets, and let's find these, these scriptures we're going to go through here. Um, once again, I'm going to share a little bit about power and authority. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Father, bless, bless our time in your word and refresh us in Jesus' name. Now, this is a powerful verse in giving a summation to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the pattern for ministry. He's the pattern for the believer's walk. He's also the pattern for you and I, uh, being known as what the scripture calls sons of God. And in his life are detailed um, events, episodes, and information that I believe is necessary for you and I to tap into uh, our spiritual DNA and also operate in the same type of power that Jesus himself operated in. One of the things that we've been sharing in our local church on the subject of purpose is that to every individual's life, when you discover your purpose, everything God has allocated to you by way of giftings, potential power resources is also unveiled once you can discover your purpose. In 1 John chapter 3, around the B part of that verse, it highlights that for this purpose was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus uh, is basically highlighted in the scriptures apart from him being the son of God, his lordship, and all the other elaborate things that we celebrate about him, he was sent by God with a mission that required power. And a part of that mission in particular was to destroy the works of Satan, to destroy the works of the devil. And sometimes that part of his life or that view of him uh, challenges a lot of believers because we don't know our birthright and what's been given unto us consistent with our born again experience into a kingdom that is superior when it comes down to any other kingdom. Jesus was able to navigate the rigors of life when he walked this planet physically because he was anointed by God with the Holy Ghost and with power. And his mission was to do good by healing everyone oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So we can look at this text and say, well, the goodness of God manifesting through Jesus was made available as he healed people oppressed by Satan because God was with him. That is a very, very powerful perspective. And so when you study the Bible, you will see that the Bible itself is a history book written to a literal people, but it's also a prophetic book. It's inspired. And the technology in the Bible will work for every born-again believer who understands how this power actually operates, which is so important. So like when God brought Israel out of Egyptian captivity and he took them um, through this wilderness and eventually we know an entire generation perished, but God began to reveal himself to um, the, 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 the Israelites in their time of transition. And in Exodus 15, he highlights himself as being the Lord our God who heals and the Lord our God who delivers. And that theme is duplicated all throughout the annals of the Old Testament and then Jesus shows up on the scene and one of his primary functions in God was to heal people oppressed of the devil but not just heal them also deliver them so there's a pattern consistent in the scriptures that Jesus was on a circuit ministering and every city he went into he would teach or preach the gospel of the kingdom and then he would demonstrate it he would demonstrate it in the context of Whoever came into his sphere of influence and their lives needed to be improved or their lives were out of order and governed by chaos, he would bring a type of reform to them by healing them or dealing with demonic powers that, are, that were interfering with their welfare and their well-being. See, this is the ugly side of Christianity. I believe that hell has tried to obscure to keep the church, especially uh, in the West, somewhat subdued when it comes down to power. But then there are parts of the world where we see where believers are rising and the power of God is a normal part of their day. It's a normal part of their habitation. It's a normal part of their presentation. So what we want to believe God for 
in these postmodern times, in America in particular, is for a surge of power. Now, let me give you this perspective. When it comes down to a household, you have several things you need to make that house work. Is that correct? Like electricity, you also need gas, you need water. These are basic things. If electricity hits your home from a lightning strike, it would destroy it. But if when it comes in through the proper wiring and the pattern that's set for it to power your house, you can turn on lights. So the same type of power that could destroy your home is the same type of power that can enhance it. If gas came into your home outside of the proper channels for a house to be powered through gas lines, it could destroy the home. Is that correct? And water, if water doesn't come through the proper plumbing system, that same water that you could use to cook, bathe, and clean with could also destroy your home because it came in the wrong way. Jesus is the perfect pattern. And in his life, we can see how the power of God flows in what it's designed to do, to heal the oppressed and to deliver the demonized. That is, that are, those are two primary purposes for power. Anywhere you go on the globe, you will find two demographics of people, the demonized and the sick. Jesus is the pattern, so he knows what the city of Orlando needs in the context of power. He's chosen Calvary Church and any other spirit-filled congregation in this territorial grid to be conduits for him to descend among people and heal them, or for him to manifest among people and deliver them. This is very, very important. And so the summation of his ministry, anytime he preached, he was attacking the kingdom of darkness and people were getting healed or delivered. Anytime Jesus laid hands on the sick and people were getting healed, he was attacking the kingdom of darkness. His purpose was tethered to the demonstration of power. And this is why every born again believer, not just the leadership team, but every individual who is a part of the collective body of Christ must understand what's been given to you by grace. It's called power, and we need it. We've seen all kinds of miracles in our day, all kinds of signs and wonders in our day. I remember uh, there was um, one of the elderly saints in our local church that had an evil diagnosis unbeknownst to us. We didn't know that the diagnosis was there. And we were having, this was in the pre-pandemic era. This was when we were having um, corporate prayer gatherings uh, every single week. And we were in a season of intercession. And while we were moving in a, in, a, in, a, in a room of prayer, I heard the Spirit of God says, make an altar call. I'm going to heal sick bodies tonight. And I had one of my friends from a neighboring state that was in the meeting. And he prayed for this specific person. And what the Lord highlighted was that he was drying up tumors that night. We didn't know that she had masses in her body that were cancerous. She had documents to prove it. That night, Jesus healed her. I said, that night, Jesus healed her. She broke down. She was just in a full-fledged, you know, weeping mode. And I'm like, it didn't seem like all that took place was you know, what's, what's going on? Lord, help me not to become familiar. But within a week or so, she brought some documentation that highlighted what in fact she was diagnosed with was no longer in her body because something supernatural had descended upon her physically to displace that which was omnius and tethered to death. And sometimes unbeknownst to those of us who are leading in churches, there are people in our congregations who are suffering in silence. They're going through all kinds of diabolical bents. They're being attacked. Some of them are being tormented. Some of them on the brink of just giving up in life. And this is why we've got to embrace the patterns that God gives us to assure that the proper power supply is upon the assembly. Can we believe God for some power in here this morning? All right. So let's go for, let's go for it. He want to look at a few scriptures. In Luke chapter 24, verses 49 through um, 53. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Somebody say power. From on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now we know that in Acts chapter 1, 
from verses 14 and 15, it highlights basically the continuity of these respective verses where there were 120, including the apostles and women that gathered in an upper room. The Bible says they went up into an upper room and they were there. The scripture says that they tarried and they, and they prayed and they made supplications for 10 consecutive days until something supernatural came burrowing down out of the spirit world upon them called the Holy Ghost. And there was a manifestation of wind and fire. Is that correct? Now, one of the oldest energies known to humanity is wind energy. It's a renewable energy. It's a clean energy. And it's been used for generations to uh, uh, provide power for communities. And interestingly, when the Spirit of God made his manifestation of the earth, according to what Jesus declared, there came a wind. In other words, here's a renewable energy that I'm going to give to my people that will empower them to live a victorious life throughout all their days on this planet. And then the manifestation of fire in the context of utterance. Now, this is very significant and important, but I want to highlight this. Jesus is quoted as constantly telling his disciples, it's expedient that I go. Because if I don't go, the comforter will not come to you. The one who will convict you of sin, of righteousness and judgment, the one who will teach you all things, the one who will reprove you, the one who will bring to your remembrance whatever you've been taught, the one who will walk alongside you and be a supernatural help, aid and assistant, Holy Spirit, the one who will show you things to come. It's expedient for me to go in order for him to come. But the way he's going to make his debut, you've got to get into a realm where you tarry until you be endued with power from on high. We have been taught in, in the previous dispensation that tarry literally means to wait. But that's not necessarily the way the Greek saw it. There's an interesting word in, in the Greek, it's called kathizo. It's found in the Greek key 2523, and it means to confer a kingdom upon another. So what Jesus was basically telling them, I want you to go and tarry. I want you to tarry in Jerusalem to you and do with power from on high because I'm going to confer my kingdom upon your territorial grid. Not the earthly, literal, physical kingdom that the Pharisees and Sadducees were looking for, but the invisible kingdom that is exalted in the heavens and that rules over everything. Through you, I'm going to confer this kingdom upon every physical territory that the soles of your feet tread upon. It's a kingdom governed by righteousness, governed by peace and governed by joy. And interestingly, the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 declares, and the God of heaven shall set up another kingdom and it shall not be left to another people but it shall consume, break in pieces and destroy all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. So the figure that Nebuchadnezzar saw that statue made of iron, clay and some of the substance that represented uh, the Babylon, the Persians and the Medes, uh, that kingdom, that stone that was cut out of that mountain smashed that figure in pieces and it began to grow and fill the whole earth. It was a prophetic picture of the kingdom of God coming. That is why Jesus is known as the rock of the ages. Are you listening to me, people of God? And when power comes upon his local assemblies, he can confer his kingdom upon their territorial grids. The kingdom that consumes sickness and disease. The kingdom that displaces premature death. Listen, the whole of humanity has just come out of one of the most volatile times that this generation has seen. A three-year almost pandemic that had destabilized the entire globe, shut down the governments of men, caused systems to come to a screeching halt, and put us in a place of social disarray that humanity, and I think the toll of it, has not really been told some of the psychological and impeding effects that it's had on the way we live and exist. And the church is going to need, need to become a place of power to help people come out of whatever that stupor ha was into a place of functionality and stability. Some may say, look, well, humanity was already dysfunctional. Can we get any worse? No, I think it did a little bit more damage. We need power. People, people are still governed by fear, trepidation, depression, anxiety, all kind of panic disorders, and they come into our local assemblies and still live with things that are foreign and invasive to the kingdom that they're a part of, it's gonna require power. So Jesus says, Terry, I'm gonna confer my kingdom 
upon your realm, but I want you to stay in that place of prayer and supplication until I endue you with power from on high. The word endue metaphorically speaks of being mantled as if with a garment or a cloth. Remember the prophet Elijah when he was dealing with his protege, Elisha, and he had him to follow him to several different places. And he tells him, if you see me when I make my transition, what's on me is going to come on you, but it's going to be a double portion. What was it that fell out of the spirit realm when Elijah was caught up that Elisha grabbed? A mantle. It was a mantle. It's a picture of an endowment that's consistent with power. So in other words, they are spiritual garments tailor-made specifically for you as an individual believer and connected to that spiritual garment is a dimension of power that God will use to confer his kingdom upon other kingdoms in the earth, the kingdom of sickness, disease, poverty, witchcraft, destruction, uh, whatever it may be, he will use that as a means of releasing his power. It comes from the place of prayer. So when you study the life of Jesus in Psalm 40, and then I believe over in Hebrews chapter 8, it is declared, is written to me in the volume of the books, I've come to do thy will, O Lord. How would he do that? God would use prophets to proclaim the coming of Christ, and then God would use intercession as a means of securing a safe entry for him to get to this planet. In Hosea chapter 13, I believe, there's a powerful prophetic word that talks about out of Egypt have I called my son. We know at the birth of Christ, God breaks into the dream room of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, and says, take my, take my, uh, your family into Egypt that it might be fulfilled out of Egypt have I called my son. But then God was using a prophet named Anna who was actually giving herself to fasting and prayer in Luke chapter 2 from verse 36 through 38. She gave herself to fasting and prayer. Uh, she was a widow and she gave a means of hope uh, for all those that were looking for comfort and deliverance to come to Israel. So here we see prophets prophesying. I mean from Zechariah all the way back to the prophet Moses when he declared in, in, in Genesis chapter 3 about the seed that was going to be born of the woman uh, would, would basically uh, uh, deal with the head of the seed of the serpent and that this, the, the heel of this child or this man child would be bruised. It was a prophetic picture of Jesus coming and subduing everything that the serpent had propagated through 40 and two generations. Now, this is important for you to, to pay attention to. So there was a pattern, a predetermined course laid out for him through prophecy and through intercession. That twofold dimension, it always gives credence to power. Not just any kind of power, because in the New Testament, there are two prevailing aspects of power. There's one aspect of power is, is found in the Greek key 1411. It's called dunamis. And it speaks of several different dimensions of power. Then there's one found in the Greek key 1849. It's the Greek word called exosia. And it speaks of a privilege or right to act in another one's stead. That is where we get the word authority from. So Jesus does just give us authority. Like, let me give you an example. And this is an interesting example, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. In the room of law enforcement, a police officer has a badge that represents authority. Is that correct? Right? And, and they're authorized to enforce the law. And when they deal with criminal elements that do not comply, they have also another aspect of power called a sidearm. Okay, it's, it's true anyway. There are certain things that will not obey your commands, but then you have another aspect of power that's for performance. This word dunamis is very interesting. I want you to look at this. I'm going to give you six aspects of dunamis power. This is where we get the word explosive or miraculous power from. It, it, it correlates with inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. You and I are, for the believer, we're born again of God's spirit. We've been procreated from on high. We've been begotten of the Father, which means that now the DNA of God is in us. All of his prevailing attributes through this new birth are now in us. And Jesus is quoted every time he would heal someone, he would say, it's not me. 
that's doing the work, but it's the Father that doeth the work through me. He knew what the source and who the source of his power was. So now we are born again into this family, not just as, 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 as some second or third cousin or whatever. No, we're sons. We're, we're direct lineage now and descendants of God made manifest in the earth through a new birth because of our faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Every believer has this. I said every believer has this. That is one of our marks of distinction. So based on the new birth, there's inherent power in you that resides by your new nature. Very, very important. Another aspect of power is power for performance. In other words, like Mary declared, there shall be a performance of these things. In, in other words, there's power not just for us to boast about having power, but power that's necessary for tailor-made performances for God to heal, for God to deliver, for God to manifest the supernatural, for divine interventions to take place, to resurrect the dead. Not when we just limit it to a song about him being the resurrection, but when we come together and we mature to the degree that there's such a demand put on God, Father, he can trust us even with resurrection power. Remember, if power comes the wrong way, it could destroy you. <laughs> okay. It's also power for moral excellence. I'm convinced that we need this power like never before. It's tied to dunamis. In other words, it's the kind of power that increases the bandwidth of believers and provides the capacity that they need to model exemplary character at all times. Anybody need a character makeover like me? I need character makeovers every now and then. Just the extreme home makeover, I need an extreme character makeover. Let's just be honest. Sometimes dealing with the saints. I'm talking about the carnivorous saints. You know, sheep by nature are herbivores, but then you got some sheep that like shepherd meat. And so we have to, we have to train the pallets to, and deal with the carnivorous sheep in the car. You can laugh. It's okay because you know you might be one of them carnivorous sheep and you won't laugh too loud to expose yourself. We got power for you today. All right. You know, they had the audacity to put an item on the menu called a shepherd's pie. I beg to differ. So there's a power for moral excellence in the soul. Then there's a power, same word dunamis, for resources directly connected to numbers, which means that every local church that's after the order of Christ should grow because sometimes consistent with numerical growth is the capacity to become more resourceful. Are you listening to me? Because why people themselves carry dimensions and capacity in them to help, to help fulfill certain visions that we have. That's why there's a strength in numbers. As a matter of fact, when you think in terms of the word excellent, the word excellent, in the, it has a root word called excel in the Greek. It means to superabound in quality and in quantity. So fundamentally tethered to a congregation where there's a desire to be an excellent people is capacity where we'll grow qualitatively and quantitatively. We need that to be resourceful to our territorial grids. Here's another aspect of power. Power consistent in resting upon an army. So there's a militant dimension or military dimension where power is made available. The church is not just here to be in defensive mode. Whatever hell throws at us, we rebuke it, you know, we bind it. No, I think we should be on the offensive as well. I think there are things we should attack just because it's manifesting. Before it ever matures, we wipe it out, we take it out. And when we come together for corporate prayer, we deploy spiritual reconnaissance in the heavens to determine what it is that's trying to break forth into a territory. God, things that are seeking to manifest while we're not watching to force us to abdicate positions that you've given us because we didn't see the thing coming. So these different aspects of power tied to dunamis are available to every born-again believer. We've got to kill the notion that God can only heal when the senior pastor prays for you. We've got to kill the notion in this belief, this mental misnomer that God can only uh, manifest himself through some ordained leader. We, we, we honor authority and the protocols that God sets because they have delegated duties and responsibilities, but Jesus is concerned about the whosoever wills in our congregation. 
becoming empowered to live a victorious life. This is interesting. In John chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were not born, uh, which, were, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice how now Jesus delegates power to all that believe on him and receive him. And that power is an authority now for you to become a son. This, and I'll hit this very quickly. There are three prevailing aspects of son in the New Testament as well. One is, 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 is the word called uh, neophyte, where we get the word neophyte from. And that simply speaks of an immature, an immature person who's a child, maybe childlike attributes. You know, you're grown, you're an adult by way of your stature and you matric through certain aspects of life, especially as it relates to aging. But when it comes down to maturity, you're still a neophyte, a neophyte. So we can't entrust you with real authority. In Galatians chapter four, Paul says the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a servant though he be Lord over all, but is given to governors and tutors until the appointed time of the Father. Interestingly, local churches that do not mature cannot benefit from power either collectively. And one aspect of that, the given to governors, that word governor comes from the Greek word okonomis, where we get the English word economics from. And normally they will be under economic sanctions because children do not know the value of money, know about budgeting, about planning effectively, and about really allocating funds where they're needed. So Paul was hitting all of that. And unfortunately, uh, even though you and I are heirs of God and we remain a neophyte, God cannot entrust us with the type of power needed to influence the masses. Trust me, my grandchildren were specialists at putting everything they get hand to mouth. You got to train them, no, that's not going to work. You got to get vaccines for RSV and all kind of stuff. I'm like, what is this? Did our kids get this stuff? Well, they made it. I guess they did, but this is so new. And now as grandparents, you're on edge with everything. No, you can't put that in there. You can't do that. And then you see them gradually maturing. So that now when you put things in their hands, you don't freak out thinking that they're going to put it in their mouth. Is that correct? Sometimes when we, when, we, when we minister to believers, I've learned over the years is that right in our congregation are two demographics, sheep and lamb. Jesus told Peter, if you love me, feed my. If you love me, and then Peter got grieved, you know I love you. And the last time he tells them to feed the lamb. Sometimes in ministry, we've got to push pause and minister to the lambs, measure their growth, get them established in power, take them through training, get them involved in ministry intensives that deal strictly with the mandate of Jesus Christ, increase their stature, increase their emotional bandwidth, deal with their dysfunctions and proclivities, cast their demons out, break curses off of them, deal with addictions, household bondage and wickedness, illegal relationships, forbidden appetites, passions and desires, and you won't know where they add until you challenge immaturity directly. We need power. Then another type of son is technon. Well, you look like you go to Calvary. You, you jump like they do in worship and, you know, you got the greeting down and all of that, but yeah, we don't see the fullness of it on you, but we know you're part of them. That's technon. You're a son by technicality. You got the name. But then Jesus was God's weos, a mature son that had capacity to produce what father had ordained. Those are the kinds of believers that father is entrusting real power to because he knows he can count on you to utilize it the way he's ordained it to be used. Come on, let's put our hands together for that. So as many as receive him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. And they were not born of the will of, of, of blood and the will of man, but they were basically begotten of father. And then we see the personification of a mature son full of grace and truth. Grace is needed to make sure we don't use the truth and weaponize it and destroy folk with it because the letter kills.
But then we need truth also to balance out grace to make sure that we don't use grace as a license to transgress against God. That's maturity that God entrusts real power to. And that pattern is in Jesus. Now, Jesus says something so powerful to displace any lies that Satan may have told some of you, well, I can't do that. That's Jesus. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. How many believers in here? I want to read this verse again for you just in case my northern accent didn't flow too well down here. I'm just kidding. Really, really, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Really, Jesus? <laughs> Come on, say greater works. Because I go unto my Father. Jesus realizing that the Spirit in me, without measure, he's confined to me. And I've got to go back to from whence I came in order for him to be poured out from on high. Going back to Luke chapter 24. So this is very important. So in other words, the secret or the key to every believer being empowered to operate in exosia, authority, and then dunamis, that miracle working power, Jesus had to return back to his estate in the heavens. Is that correct? So we know that before he could do that, he had to go through a horrible crucifixion by way of capital punishment on a cross. And that would give him credence through death to get into hell. And when he got into hell, what did he do? He took the legal right of Satan to rule over humanity by way of death. He took those keys from him and he rose and declared all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. So in other words, there's nowhere Satan can operate where he has power that's more superior than the power of the kingdom of God. Very important, but he still uses tools called deception, error. I call them spiritual airbenders. Those are the ones that twist the scriptures to manipulate people out of their own birthright and inheritance. Come on, say, not on my watch. Very, very important. Now, this, this verse goes on, verse 13. He says, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That is why Jesus says, I'm going to work with you, and I'm going to confirm my word with what following? With signs following. So in other words, now when we pray in the name of Jesus, that name that strikes controversy, in the hearts of politicians, that name that releases fear and trembling in the depths of hell, that name that activates the religious agnostics and stirs up the baser sort of men, that name uh, that still to this day uh, creates all kind of controversy uh, in the hearts of those who, who cannot reconcile the fact that God uh, would manifest himself in the earth through Jesus Christ uh, and discharge our sin debt, uh, atone our sins, uh, forgive our sins, uh, through, the, through the shedding of his blood, cleanse us uh, from all guilt and unrighteousness uh, and then empower us as mere mortals now to become supernatural people in the earth realm uh, who are part of an everlasting kingdom uh, and through us uh, God would descend God will heal uh, God will work miracles uh, he'll do signs and wonders through average people that makes no sense and that is what we've got to contend for that reality and we need power hmm Let's look at a couple of things about Jesus, and I'm going to give you a few benefits. We'll pray, and then we're going to see where the Lord takes us. Is that okay? All right. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. And he goeth up into a mountain, and he called it unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. And he gave them power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Uh-oh. <laughs> these were just, these were teenagers that Jesus basically recruited to be a part of his team. They had various occupations from fishermen and, you know, tax collectors and other things that they were involved in. But Jesus recruits a team of youngsters. 
And now after he's spending time in that place of prayer, like in Luke chapter 6, you will see this same account. And then also in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, uh, when he called his disciples unto them, unto him, he gave them power, authority, to cast out devils and then to also heal the sick. So there was an authoritative dimension, but also a supernatural, miraculous dimension tethered to two words, exosia for authority and then dunamis for miracle working power. Mm. Jesus says, I want you to utilize this to advance my kingdom. That is why he declared in Luke chapter 11, if I by the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come under you because a part of them tarrying for Holy Spirit to come, God was going to confer his kingdom upon others. So casting out demons is a big part of advancing the kingdom of God. It is equally important as preaching the gospel of the kingdom, a demonstration of it. Jesus had a pattern in ministry. He would teach and preach, then he would demonstrate. He would teach and preach. Then he would demonstrate. We go from city to city and village to village, teaching the gospel of the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and then demonstrating the supremacy of the kingdom on a very personal level by healing sick bodies, by subduing demonic kingdoms, by opening blind eyes, by unstopping deaf ears, by loosing dumb tongues. We need that level of power so that we can start seeing supernatural things transpire. Just a couple of months ago, we hit a pocket of miracles in our local church, there was a lady that had some spinal problems and she couldn't walk with, she couldn't walk. She, 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 was, she had assistance and all those things going on with her. And um, we were flowing this day, it's like a portal open and the word of knowledge was so strong to the point where we called out an issue of vertigo with one of our pastors who was not physically in the church watching it online and all the vertigo symptoms left the moment I said the spirit of vertigo be broken in Jesus name and I get a text message right in the service I just got healed <laughs> had no idea but this lady in particular that couldn't walk one of our um, prophets had prayed for her and all of a sudden the power of God hits this lady and she gets up no assistance and she's been walking since then. See, sometimes when there's an expectation for it, that really sets the groundwork. So in other words, one of the, one of the key ways for power to begin to flow, there must be expectation. Remember the guy in Acts chapter 3 who was, who, who, who was a, a guy who was born lame from his mother's womb and he needed to be assisted everywhere he went and his friends would take him and they laid him at the, at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. And the Bible says when he saw Peter and John, he put his eyes on them. He was expecting to receive something. And Peter, when he sees him, he says, listen, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ, in the authority that's in that name. Rise up and walk. And the Bible says immediately the man's ankle bones receive what? Strength. And he began to walk, leaping and praising. And that's not a Bible story. That's a part of our inheritance. It's not a Bible story, it's a part of our inheritance. It, Jesus, G, Jesus name now the one that has supremacy in the heavens, on the earth, and beneath the earth. It was through that authority that miracles begin to flow. That is what we want, which means that it doesn't make a difference if you would just, you, if you give your life to Christ today, that power is made available to you. You don't have to wait 15 years. You don't have to wait 20 years. No, God can use you now. You just need to get in the right kingdom. And if you've been in this kingdom any time and you've not seen demonstrations flow through you, today is your day. Today is your day. This is interesting. So he authorizes these guys and empowers them to do the works that he did. Luke chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Here's a big secret to how Jesus flowed in power. It says in verse 16, Luke 5, 16, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which will come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal. Notice how Jesus spent time in prayer. Then he goes to teach. And while he's teaching, something supernatural descends right in the place where he's at. 
to the point where the power of God was so strong and throngs of people showed up. There was a paraplegic guy who was carried on the bed by his colleagues. They couldn't get him in the building. They climbed to the roof. All of us need friends like that. I mean, that'll take you to whatever heights they need to go. They'll get there until you get your breakthrough. And Jesus healed that guy right in that specific meeting. Are you listening to me? So he prayed and powerful performance was made manifest right while he was teaching. Let me give you about four things here and then we'll bring this to a close and we're going to believe God. Is your expectation increasing? Come on, is your expectation increasing? You know, one of the prayers I've been praying for uh, my family was that Father let nothing from the unseen realm package as a blessing, as increase, as monetary gain, miracles, let nothing from that realm presented as such access my family if it did not come from you. Because in that invisible world, there's light and darkness. And sometimes what Satan's ministers will do is transform themselves into be agents of light. And really they're clothed with darkness and we got to have discernment as well. And that's why the word of God must be coupled with the spirit of God, our primary source to make a distinction between what's of God and what's not of God. Remember the narrative with Janice and Jambri and the prophet Moses and in Pharaoh's court, the magicians were producing the same kind of miracles. But God's power eventually became more supreme. Like most people don't know as well, we've been taught that the Magi that came to witness the birth of Jesus were wise people. Is that correct? They were occult practitioners. Magi comes from the word magic. Isn't it interesting how the kingdom of darkness understood what was happening in the heavens greater than those who were proclaiming the coming of Messiah? But what did they do? They had to acquiesce and yield of their substance to the king of glory. That is why no weapon formed against you and I shall prosper. And what hell meant for evil, God can make it good. We've got to just make sure we're in a place where we're maturing as sons of the most high God to be the conduits that God needs and then the catalyst of change and reform that humanity is requiring. It's going to take power. Say power. Okay, here we go. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. Ephesians 1, 16 through 19. Seeks not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church of Ephesus. Now, we know that the church of Ephesus was birthed out of a series of encounters in Acts chapter 19 when Paul comes into that territorial grid and he finds certain disciples who had only been baptized with the baptism of John. So they were functioning at an antiquated level that could not sustain the type of power that God had already released in the earth. So Paul gets these guys, he upgrades them, they get baptized in the Holy Ghost, they start speaking with tongues and prophesying. Then he sits down and teaches, and for 27 months, he teaches the kingdom night and day. And God descends on Ephesus, governed by a principality named Diana of the Ephesians. This was connected to all kinds of lewd and uh, debaucherous activity, prostitution and the likes. And there was a surge of occult activity in that respective grid. God did something unusual in the life of Paul where he put a realm of miracles on him that his shadow and, and, and garments taken from his body, napkins were healing the sick and the disease. And that is how God broke that territory open through teaching the kingdom, and through a manifestation of power that produced miracles. The occult stronghold was brought under subjection and the word of God prevailed and grew mightily in those days. Very, very important to note. It doesn't make a difference what's happening in the realm of dark and ominous activity. Keep being light, keep being sought, keep contending for Christ's realities, keep contending for power until we see what God has ordained for us. Mm. So Paul says, I cease not to give thanks, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power 
to us but who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Now, this is interesting. So, a part of his prayer for this church was that they would have full disclosure, revelation coupled with wisdom, of the exceeding greatness of his power. That is, he, he prayed that for this local church, which means that every local church needs a revelation and working wisdom that's applicable for the exceeding greatness of the power of God. We need that. We need that. Make Calvary begin to benefit in a powerful way from the exceeding greatness of God's power. That's dunamis. That's the miracle working power. That's the supernatural working power. That is the kind of power that prevails. Years ago, as a youngster, when we started having children, I think my second born son, Joseph, we were coming from a, a, a men's meeting where I was teaching at a homeless shelter in Chicago. And I let some of these seasoned mothers trick me out of my calling during that time. They don't take that baby around those men. They got diseases. They got this and that. And so I ended up letting my Bible study go. I shouldn't have done it, but I learned. I know they, they spoke out of maternal instincts and love, but God had us. So that didn't happen again. But long story short, we were coming from this meeting one time and it was a winter day, snowing, typical winter in Chicago. And this um, souped up pickup truck out of nowhere comes and rams into my car, spins the car around and when I looked at the driver, it was like I saw some non-human figure in that truck. Spent it around. I got oncoming traffic, three lanes. It's snow. And the Kringles can testify when the snow, all of that is just like people forget how to drive. It's just real crazy stuff. And, 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 and people don't slow down. And it's almost like I went through what I didn't know then was like a portal. An intervention took place. Because when the car got hit, I said, Jesus! And somehow, unbeknownst to me to this day, that car turned around, that car accelerated, and when I looked in the rearview mirror, the same distance between me and the vehicles in the previous episode was still there. And then I had all kind of spirits trying to manifest through me, track the truck down, go get them. You need to, <laughs> I'll let that part go. <laughs> and then I had to pull over and just pause and really give God thanks, because I got this youngster in the back seat, in the car seat, and he knew nothing. Car had damage on it, but it wasn't anything that was destructive. God was keeping me in that moment. And even though there was a breach or an intrusion, an intervention took place simultaneously. The law of physics, everything was defied and the car began to move. This is my testimony, a real miracle. Come on, say the supernatural. We must become just as acquainted with that realm as we do with the natural realm. So Paul prayed for that, and a big part of that is pushing in prayer. Here's another aspect, in, and can I, can I take five more minutes? Five more minutes? Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. We have a lot of eloquent speakers and people who are very well versed, professional pulpiteers. We need them to speak in certain arenas as representatives of the church. But it cannot be utterance void of power. It cannot be articulation void of power. Jesus backed up everything Father spoke through him with power. And we need to be able to move into a realm where the kingdom that we proclaim is one that's accompanied with power. Not just eloquent speech, and not just eloquent presentations, though we do need that. I cough the Bible in Hebrew, I sneeze it in Greek, okay? So, but I don't just want to be known for coughing the Bible in Hebrew and sneezing in Greek. I need power. I need real power. I was in Africa one time in a, in a, coming from a meeting in the night, and my host at that time, he's like, we're going through an area where there's a lot of known witchcraft and demonic altars and stuff. And so we're riding on a brand new, you know, Volvo with the 180-degree xenon lights and got a quarter-mile projection. It's lit up like it's daytime. Monitor inside the car, you can see it. And while we're talking and chatting, all of a sudden you felt the shift. And before we knew it, a cow appears in the road out of nowhere. Boom! Car hits the cow. Man, I almost jumped out that vehicle, man. Tears up the driver's side, the stream on the right-hand side, tears up the driver's side, you know, uh, side view mirror, buses, the windshield. And we get out, no cow, no blood. And it was silence the rest of the trip. 
just had a powerful service, all kind of breakthrough and miracles. And that was training ground for me. And in that same trip, I were headed to another part of a different country. And all of a sudden, some boulders come across the road. And uh, my host, a brother of mine in the Lord, he tries to get control of the car. We're headed towards a cliff and both of us hollering, Jesus, and the truck stops. <laughs> yeah. And I said, Lord, what manner of wickedness is this? What, <laughs> what meaneth this? I was preaching in the country, um, was in an Assemblies of God church, thousands of people. The territorial spirit in that area, the indigenous people worship pythons. It's where Victoria Falls is at, the smoke that thunders. And so we're in this nation, and we have a mass deliverance service. There's two of us, and the sanctuary is full. It's about 2,000 people. They were slithering like snake folk, levitating, demons screaming out of people, all kinds of stuff. And then that night, something visited my room. I felt like it was going to suffocate me, pull me in the, in the bed, and couldn't get my breath. And it was in the name of Jesus where, once again, power was allocated that was more superior than what was manifesting. I didn't have clear insight as I do now, but God was faithful even in my moments of ignorance because I knew that there was real power in that name. The kingdom is not in word, but in power. In closing, Acts chapter one, verse eight, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be a witness unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Four, four references here. Jerusalem, your local community. Judea, your regional territory. Samaria, that national grid. The uttermost parts of the earth, the nations. The Spirit of God comes upon us and gives us miracle-working power. Locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. To be a witness. To be a witness. And this is where the word martyr comes from. Where we can lay our lives down and not withhold the testimony of the Lord from manifesting through us because we know that there's power available to us. Let's stand to our feet. Come on, if you can, put your hands together in honor of the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray a simple prayer for you. And then we're going to spend some time ministering. I believe Pastor Kevin is going to come and give us some closing remarks. Uh, so as you're standing, lift your hands. Father, thank you for Calvary Church and thank you for this uh, new season you're bringing them to collectively as a congregation, a gathering of salt and light, the preserving and illuminating dimension of your spirit for people in this territorial grid. Father, let there come undeniable manifestations of the God who works signs and wonders through this gathering of believers. Let every stigma of insignificance from the front to the back be judged. Let every veil that would hinder the reception of power be displaced in the name of Jesus. But Father, let there come a supernatural configuring of appetites, expectations, and overall passion for the power of God with the goal of exalting Christ and extending his rule. I bless these saints. I bless their guests. I bless all who are assembled this morning. Let there come the manifestation of power to perform the works that glorify you. I give you glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together as we receive Pastor Kevin. Today, if you have a specific need and you're saying, Lord, I need that power to manifest itself today in our lives, in our bodies, I want you to come forward to the altars. Come on. Come on. The Lord doesn't sit here and talk to us about his authority and his power and not take the time for us to release it and minister it to you today. You came today and you heard that message to let you know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world that he is the king of kings. Church, I would ask that you begin to just pray because these are not small things that individuals are dealing with. They are things that they know they need a work of God to solve. 
All right, let's go ahead and position ourselves to receive. Apostle, would you pray over these right now that have come as you've delivered that word? Would you speak that healing prayer over them right now? Altar teams, why don't you come? If your altar teams are here, you can begin ministering. Pastors, you can begin laying hands on people as well so they feel that sense of connection and touch. But I'm going to ask Apostle Stephen to pray the overall declaration and releasing of that ministry into your life. Father, we thank you for your people this morning asking for just a manifestation of power to come to deal, Lord God, with pathological issues that are trending in their bodies, to deal with chronic sickness and physical ailments. Father, to deal with things that have served as a deterrent uh, to the overall clarity in their minds, their emotional welfare, their psychological well-being. I pray for the power of God to be made manifest upon this altar. Father, every assignment of darkness programmed against uh, their physical physical health, their physical well-being. It is written, you were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace is upon you, and with your stripes we are healed. And so, Lord, as ministry goes forth on behalf of those who have responded to this altar call, I pray for power, Lord God, that will render a divine performance. I rebuke, Lord God, physical ailments. I rebuke the assignments of torment. I rebuke, Lord God, mental debilitating works. I pray, Father, for healing of osteoporosis. I pray for healing, Father, of where there's back problems, where there is hearing problems there's vision impairment. I pray the healing power of God. There's been just a subtle disconnect, Father, from things that resonate with reality. I break the powers of darkness and I pray, Lord God, for the manifestation of signs and wonders upon this altar and also for a time of baptism in the Holy Ghost. That, Lord, as we lay hands upon those who are here, they'll receive of that power. They'll receive of that fire in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I give you glory, Lord God, for this time of demonstration let all apathy be judged. Let all assignments, Lord God, that resonate, Father, with failure, defeat, in the name of Jesus, be broken upon this altar. I declare that release by the power of God. I give you glory even now, Lord God, for your divine dealings. Also for the stirring and the activation of their gifts, for the awakening of God-ordained talents inside of them. Let their creative genius come alive. And Father, let there come now a manifestation of your burning presence. I just declare that uh, even today uh, a warming sensation coming uh, upon those that are in need uh, of, of healing in their bodies. Uh, God do it for them I pray uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. I bless uh, and I give you glory.
church would you celebrate that give the lord praise thank you lord thank you jesus thank you jesus go ahead give him a good celebration we celebrate we thank you we receive and now if everyone would just stand we're going to get ready to dismiss here altar teams you can stay up front and make yourselves available for those who would need it but we do not want to end the service today without giving everyone an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus. Even while you're making your way back to your seat or whatever, please give us just two more minutes because you never know who is about to say yes to Jesus. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of our sin is death, which is separation from God, even hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. And the Bible goes on to say that all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from their sin, saved from hell, but then saved unto the family of God. Be made a child, a son and daughter of God. That power that's made available to you today, you can only access it through God's family. And so today I want to ask you, where are you with Jesus? If you say, Pastor Kevin, I don't remember a time in my life that I've ever called on the name of the Lord Jesus to be my Savior, 
maybe my grandma, my family, but I personally don't remember a time that I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. We're going to pray for you today and give you an opportunity to call on the Lord. Or maybe you say at one time in your life you were walking with the Lord and then if you were to be honest, you're not where you should be. You've drifted, you've cooled off and you say, you know what, I would like to recommit myself to the Lord this morning. And if that's you, we want to give you an opportunity to call on the Lord afresh. And so if you would please everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to give you an opportunity between you and Jesus to make that decision. I'm going to count to three, and when I do, if you'll raise your hand on the count of three, and that is your declaration to say, I'm saying yes, Jesus. I'm accepting. I'm receiving. I'm giving you my life. That's your act of faith right there, just raising your hand, and then I will pray for you, and you'll follow a prayer with me as we call on the name of the Lord together. So hopefully you're ready on the count of three. You've never given your life to Jesus, or you're recommitting this morning. Ready? One two, three. If that's you, just put your hand up. Just put your hand this morning. Make that declaration and say, I need to get right with the Lord this morning. I see a hand in the back there. Anybody else today? There's two hands back there. Awesome. Just put it up high. There's another hand over there. Praise God. God sees it. This is you saying, I am surrendering. I am recommitting or I am committing for the first time. All right, church, whether I saw your hand or not, it doesn't matter because it's your expression of faith between you and the Lord. Would you all pray a prayer with me, follow together, so no one's praying by themselves. The prayer itself isn't anything magical or anything like that, but it's you committing and acknowledging your faith on the Lord. So with all your heart, if you would just repeat this prayer with me, dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize that I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Be my God. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you celebrate those four or five that raised their hand and maybe others. We hope you have been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person for our Sunday morning worship experience every Sunday at 10 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. There you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.